Oh, so good to be here this morning. Look out and see those who have gathered here this morning to hear the Word of God. And uh, just uh, been a great time of praise, great time of, of worship. And now we let the Spirit not only lead us, but feed us. This morning we begin a series of sermons based on questions provided by, well, provided by you. And uh, CJ and I had asked that if you'd ever had a topic or a text that you wished the preacher to preach about, to just tell us and we would preach it. We actually wound up with a few more suggestions than we have weeks in the month. So we wound up narrowing them down to five that we felt um, were the most useful for the most people. And we'll seek to answer the ones that we don't answer in sermon We'll seek to answer those on an individual basis. Uh, this morning's focus uh, is, actually deals with two questions, both of them on how to love those who are hard to love. One of the best texts, I believe, to address that topic is Paul's, it's found in Paul's letter to the Roman church, chapter 12, beginning with verse 9. Here, Paul gives a series of practical commands dealing with nearly every area of life, including our topic. Now, not all of them apply to the questions that we're dealing with this morning, but there are some that fit so well it's as if Paul himself was addressing our questions. So verse 9 and following, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well... Preparing my message, I came across a list of more than 40 warning signs. You might be a difficult person. Curious if I was on the list, I read through it entirely, and I wound up paring it down to my own top 10. You might be a difficult person if your parents move and forget to tell you where. You have to stand on your head to smile if milk curdles when you try to drink it, if people salute you on the job and you're not in the military, 
You might be a difficult person if your imaginary friends constantly tick you off. If, if telemarketers hang up on you. If your Christmas mystery person gift at work is a muzzle. If someone keeps sending your obituary to the paper. You might be a difficult person if the devil tells you Hey, you need to take it easy on people. And finally, you might be a difficult person if to screw in a light bulb, you stand there with the bulb in the socket and wait for the world to revolve around you. I think we would all agree, not everyone is easy to love. In fact, some seem downright unlovable. But when... When Jesus said that God so loved the world, he wasn't just talking about the sweet, the kind, the good. The world God loved and still loves includes the sour, the mean, and the baddest of the bad. And if God loves them, well, so should we. The question is not who we are to love, but how are we to love them? All of us have examples of people hard to love, including the person who submitted the following. How do I love a brother or sister who has such crazy political views, yet seems so reasonable regarding everything else? How do I love the sinner while at the same time hating the sin in this horribly divisive political climate? Well, of course, Politics isn't the only thing that divides us, right? And it's not wrong to differ on such things as politics, social issues, culture, religion, family, any number of things that evoke strong emotion and strong opinion. It's when a, it's when a bad attitude builds barriers keeping us apart. It's when our words, our actions become so offensive that we wound those that we are supposed to love. See, then it becomes very destructive, even among brothers and sisters in Christ. So, how should we deal with hard-to-love people within the church? Again, human nature being what it is, no sooner that I say the words, hard-to-love people within the church, nearly everyone in this room thought of at least one person who fit that description. But we all sin, don't we? We all fall short of God's glory, which means all of us are difficult sometimes, just some more than others. So how can we react to such a person in a way that honors God and helps everyone involved? See, in... I I think what Paul would tell us here in Romans 12, that it really all comes down to focusing on what matters to God. So what does matter to God? Genuine love matters. Uh, Verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. That word translated genuine in the original language combines two terms. A prefix meaning not, and a Greek word referring to putting on an act. So, 
when Paul says, let love be genuine, he's literally saying, let love not put on an act. Or we might say, when you claim to love someone, don't be a hypocrite. Your love should be the real thing. Now, what's the real thing look like? 1 Corinthians 13, right? Beginning with verse 4, love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, it isn't irritable, it's not resentful, it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, it rejoices in the truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Such genuine love begins in the heart and works its way out into into action. Ultimately, how well we deal with difficult people depends on how well we let Jesus deal with us. Earlier in chapter 12, Paul writes these words, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what's good, acceptable, and perfect. Every Christian by definition, is born again. And being born again, that implies growth, right? Just as no infant should remain an infant, so no one born again should remain in the church cradle. There should be transformation. Paul uses the Greek word from which we get our word metamorphosis. It's a transformation over time. In fact, for the believer, it takes, it takes a lifetime. But it should be ongoing. You don't have to be perfect to deal well with difficult people. But you do have to be real. You'll not always be patient, kind, and humble. But when you aren't, own up to it. And then keep loving the best you can. Because here's the thing, real love doesn't quit. It doesn't give up. And the more you love, the better you will get at it. Not only does genuine love matter, the difficult person matters. Never forget, the person you're dealing with is not some project that you can forget about if what you tried doesn't work. He or she is an eternal soul loved by God whom Jesus died to save. That person matters to God regardless how irritating they may be to you. So, make the most of every opportunity, even opportunities that don't look like opportunities. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless, and don't curse them. Don't allow Satan to do anything to keep you from being a blessing to everyone regardless how difficult they may be. Even those who treat you poorly need the love of Christ. Sometimes a blessing can be found simply in our silence, in a refusal to retaliate, letting God handle the comebacks. If you can walk away from a conflict with a difficult person, do so in prayer. If you can't walk away, then refuse to respond in kind. Don't escalate. 
Ask Jesus what he wants you to do and then do it. Because no matter the situation, that situation is an opportunity to treat someone as Jesus would treat them. So take advantage of it. Also, if you have an opening to connect, connect. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. You know, we connect best with those in our lives when hearts are sensitive. And nothing makes our hearts sensitive like joy and sadness. Such emotions are common to us all. But the Christian understands best how to celebrate gains and find comfort in the midst of loss. I think sometimes we forget. Those who are difficult in our lives, those who are hard to love, they're not robots. Regardless what they say or how they present themselves to the world, they need love and encouragement. Something you and I, in Christ, should have in abundance. Finally, think like Jesus. Think like Jesus, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. One of the biggest obstacles that we have to peace is our own stubborn pride. Jesus showed us the best way to make and maintain peace, especially with difficult people, is to take the role of a servant. Humble yourself. Try to see them through God's eyes so you can see what's really going on. Discover what they need. And I would add this, even if what they need is a gentle correction of some error in their thinking. Because sometimes that is what makes a difficult person difficult. There is something that is wrong in their thinking, and we need to address it, but we're afraid. We're afraid to do that. But I think what you will find is that you are much more apt to be heard if you've already shown them genuine love And if you've made it clear that they are important to both God and you. Now, if what makes them difficult is not some error, but just a difference of opinion or a different kind of personality, and that's always possible, may I just say to you, show respect. Honor the person even if you disagree with their opinion. Because respect goes a long way tearing down walls and building bridges. Think like Jesus. Let him soften those who are hard to love. So, genuine love matters. The difficult person matters. And those who are listening matter. Again, verse 18, live peaceably with all. How we treat people impacts more than just them. 
Maybe you've had this experience where a bystander appeared to not be listening at all and you're carrying on a conversation with someone and suddenly you realize that they've been soaking up every single word that was being said. Parents really get this, right? Because you're talking to, you know, mom's talking to dad, dad's talking to mom, and you're thinking, well, the kids don't hear. (laughs) I'm telling you, the kids hear. And so do the kids in the church. They hear. They oftentimes are listening to what's going on. Not only that, not only do you have bystanders soaking things up, well, let's just lay it out there. Frequently, we take our conversations and pass them on, painting that difficult person in a bad light. Sometimes the greatest damage done in our dealings with those hard to love is not done by them at all. The damage is done by our venting by our careless words strewn about for anyone to hear. Words that may well be true, but they're hurtful and they're unnecessary. Rule of thumb, if what you are about to say about someone else, if it doesn't help them, don't say it. Just don't say it. Paul put it best, Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. That word for corrupting means that which causes something to decline. That which which causes something um, diable. It's, It's this idea that something like our bodies, when our bodies are corrupted by sin, it means that they diminish over time. So don't say things that are corrupting. Don't say things that are going to bring somebody to uh, a, a diminishing place. Instead, speak only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion. And I love this last line, that it may give grace to those who hear. Oh, Giving grace is always good. Always good. And our speech should be filled with grace. So, when dealing with those hard to love within the church family, focus on what really matters. Genuine love really matters. The difficult person really matters. And those who may be listening, they really matter. But there's another level of difficult people, those maybe outside church circles, who treat us poorly, not because they're immature believers, but because they're at odds with the very truths you and I hold dear. So someone asked this question. How do you deal with difficult people and co-workers when they mistreat you? How and what would Jesus do, and how would he handle them? And then they added this. This may be something I alone struggle with. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. That person is definitely not alone. So how should we deal with difficult people outside the church? Even our enemies. In answer, Jesus gave us this. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and following. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We hear that all the time. We do. We hear it all the time. 
Yeah, they may not say it in those words, but they say, well, that guy deserves to be hated. Well, you, you can't give that guy an inch. Oh, no, no, no. That, that's a really bad guy. Wouldn't want him around. Certainly don't want him coming to church. Mm. See, you've heard it said, and you hear it over and over, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says to them and to us, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus takes our expected understandable response to our enemies and he turns it on its head. You might say that he transforms our enemies list into something much more suitable to a child of God. First, turn your list of enemies into a friend's list. Not that you're going to have the warm fuzzies towards someone who has injured you or someone who has harmed those who are close to you. But love them the way Jesus taught you to love them. Not as an emotional response, but as a decision you make. You don't have to like the actions of a sinner in order to love them, nor do you have to embrace their lifestyle. Remember, God loves who? The world. And that's a lot of lifestyles God neither likes nor embraces. True love, biblical love, moves past the surface and gets at the need of the person. Think about it. When God looked at you and he looked at me, what did he really see? He saw our sin. It stands out to a holy God, whatever it is. Paul says, we were all enemies of God. You ever thought of yourself as being an enemy of God? I have people read that passage over in Romans and think to themselves, there is no way, I've never been an enemy of God. Well, you sinned. You sinned. And that puts you at war with God. He says, life is supposed to be like this, and we say, no, I want to do it this way. And whenever we do that, we become enemies of God. But while we were still enemies, God could have wiped us from the planet. He could have just obliterated every one of us. That first sin you sinned. He could have said, okay, I'm done. Could have. He didn't. He showed you mercy. He showed you grace. When we were still his enemies, doing everything in our power to push God away, God still loved us, giving the best he had to deal with the worst we had to offer. Always keep Paul's counsel in mind when dealing with anyone, difficult or not. Verse 21 of Romans 12, do not be overcome by evil, overcome evil with good. Our enemy is not a flesh and blood kind of enemy. The real enemy is a spiritual enemy that must be fought with spiritual weapons. Every flesh and blood person we meet is either a child of God or a captive of Satan. There is no third category. When you view a person as a lost friend rather than a bitter enemy, 
it makes all the difference in the world how you treat them. Turn your list of enemies into a friends list. Second, turn your list of enemies into a prayer list. Yeah, it's, it's funny. We pray for the sick, the hurting, the broken, the bruised. We pray for missionaries and church leaders, for the flock and those who once were part of the flock, but they've wandered away. We even pray for the lost, but oftentimes we pray for the lost that we already have a close relationship with. Those that we like, even love with great affection. Those we couldn't even imagine going to heaven without And all of this, uh, just let me say, all of this we should do. Pray for them. But Jesus says we are also to pray for people who persecute us, who seek to do us harm. We're to talk to God on behalf of those who hurt us. Many of you know the story of how Jesus in the throes of being crucified prayed for his tormentors. Remember the prayer? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. People hear that and they think, well, but that's Jesus, right? That's, that's Son of God stuff. I mean, that's, that, you know, that's something He does. Surely you, you don't expect a regular guy like me to do something like that. And then you keep reading and you come to Acts chapter 7, where a regular guy, a Christian named Stephen, is being stoned to death for sharing his faith in Jesus. Verse 59, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I want you to listen to these next lines. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. He cried out with a loud voice. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Why do you think he cried out for forgiveness of those who were persecuting him? Why do you think he called out in a loud voice? Is God hard of hearing? Is, is, is he afraid that God wasn't watching? That, there, that, that somehow God would miss this? I don't think he cried out in a loud voice because of God. He cried out in a loud voice because... He wanted those that were stoning him to death to hear his forgiving spirit, his Christ-like spirit. And what's interesting is, one of the men who heard him say that was the man who wrote Romans 12. He was Saul at the time, a tormentor of the church. But he later became Paul, writer of half the New Testament and the greatest missionary who ever lived. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if he didn't rehearse that line over and over and over again until finally Jesus got his attention. Oh my. Like Jesus, Stephen prayed for his enemies. So please don't tell the Lord you just can't pray for that guy at work who did you wrong. Please don't tell the Lord that you can't pray for that neighbor who injured you years ago. Please don't tell the Lord that you just can't pray for that, well, you fill in the blank. Whoever you would put on an enemy's list, change it and put him or her on a prayer list. 
Pray for their repentance. Pray for their forgiveness. Pray for their salvation. And as you pray for them, you pray for yourself that God would give you His heart, His love, His mercy, His grace. Turn your enemies list into a prayer list. And finally, turn your list of enemies into a bucket list. The 2007 film starring Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman, The Bucket List, it's the story of two terminally ill men who left their cancer ward to accomplish things they wanted to do before they died. They're before you kick the bucket list. Now, bucket list existed long before the movie, but the film did spawn a wave of list making concerning things people wanted to do before it was too late. Now, the Bible doesn't refer specifically to a bucket list. But the Bible does make it clear, time is short, we need to make the most of the days we have. James 4 describes life as a, as a mist that appears briefly and vanishes. I'm 59. Believe me, I think about that more now than I did when I was 49. We're a mist. We're here today. And tomorrow, we're not. So we need to think about that and let that be at least an influencing principle in our lives. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I think we'd all agree the days are evil, right? No one's going to sit here and argue, oh no, no, everything's really good. Everybody's really cool. No. The days are evil and they're getting more and more evil. And if Christians don't make the best use of their time, who will? Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. There's, there's this again. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt that you may know how to answer each person. We simply don't have time to waste. So we dare not use the time we do have in bitterness and anger and hatred. I want you to think of an attitude right now that is there in, in your life, somewhere in your life, that you know, you know without a doubt, God doesn't want it there. You know it. You don't have to have me tell you. You know it already. Get rid of it. You don't have time to mess around with stuff like that. You just don't. We don't have time to push people away because of something they did to us or our friends. We don't have time to do such things. We only have the time to reach out in love, to seek to reconcile whatever relationships need mending. Sometimes we live as if we have all the time in the world when truth is all the time we've got is all the time God graciously gives us. See, he promised to send Jesus back to this earth someday to claim his bride and bring his people home. But in that day, it'll be forever too late for those who don't know Jesus. That includes our enemies. Just because the Lord gives us today doesn't mean he'll give us tomorrow. Here's what Peter said, Peter, 2 Peter 3, 9. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that, underline this, any, not any except this guy, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If the Lord does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to repent, doesn't that include your enemies? truly love God the way you should, then shouldn't it follow while the Lord gives you breath? You do everything in your power to rescue those that he loves, no matter how hard they are for you to love. Turn your enemies list into a bucket list. Near the close of our text, there's an odd couple of verses that feel out of place with the rest of what Paul wrote, especially Especially the last line, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. That sounds good. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That sounds good. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. I bet you, when you came in here this morning, I bet you weren't thinking to yourself, man, I'm going to hear the preacher talk about heaping burning coals on somebody's head. Some of you are out there, and you didn't listen at all to anything I said till I got to this, right? Because you're thinking about somebody right now that that sounds really good. Well, when I was much younger, I pictured the person in that last line as a bad person, finally getting what he or she deserved, a final divine gotcha for all the trouble and heartache they caused. But as I grew older, as I grew in my faith, as I grew in my experience, I began to see Paul's point. I have indeed lost count of the number of times a kind act by somebody being mistreated has resulted in a change of heart by the person doing the mistreating. Now, it seldom happened immediately. In fact, often much time elapsed and many acts of kindness transpired before there was a change of heart. And change did not happen in every mistreater's heart. But it's happened enough to let me know that God's way works much better than ours. Paul is saying that our acts of mercy and grace and kindness, they have much more potential to impact the conscience of difficult people for the good than do our harsh comebacks and bitter words. It can and often does make them think in ways, frankly, they'd prefer not to think, to feel what they'd rather not feel. Why is that person being so good to me when I've treated them so unfairly? How can they pray for me and show such kindness when I've been so awful to them? What do they have that I don't have? In a word, Jesus. If you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, We say it every week. We say it every week because we mean it every week. Best day to be saved is when? Today. Today. 
So let today be the day of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, God's, God's own Son. Repent of your sins. Confess Jesus as Lord. And have your sins forever washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Being baptized into Christ. And you'll receive the forgiveness of your sins. And the Holy Spirit will come and live inside you and teach you how to do what we've been talking about all morning long. Now, if you do have Jesus, can I just say to you, it ought to show. And it ought to show more than just here. It's not just a matter of being able to clean yourself up so you can look good to your brothers and sisters. How do you look to your neighbor? How do you respond to your co-workers? How do you interact with your family? Do they see Jesus or not? If you've got Jesus, they ought to see Jesus. There ought to be something about you that makes people think, that makes them want what you've got, that makes them want to know the Jesus you know. So go. Go. And show the world, show them Jesus. Even difficult people. Show them Jesus. You'll be amazed at what he'll do 